Christians. Would you please turn with me in your program to your study guide as we continue our series uh, from the letters of John. Uh, The series title is In the Light. This is the message we have heard from Jesus and now declare to you. God is light and there is no darkness in him at all. So we are lying if we say we have fellowship with God but go on living in spiritual darkness. We are not practicing the truth. But if we are living in the light, as God is in the light, then we have fellowship with each other, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Now today we come to the three quarters mark of our series. It's an eight-part series. Today is part six. And so far, the first five, part, five parts, uh, Pastor Lisa and Pastor Eric and I have been preaching those first five messages on the letter of 1 John. Today I'll talk about 2 John. Next Sunday, Chris Brown is actually going to go back and preach a message from 1 John. And then a couple of weeks from today, I'm going to finish up with 3 John. But I thought because we're at the three quarters mark, that we just kind of take a few minutes to step back and kind of look at the forest uh, rather than the trees. Let's at the three-quarter mark, uh, just a fourth of our series left to go. Uh, let's step back and let's look at the big picture. And so in order to help us to do that, I'd like to invite up our New Testament scholar in residence, Dr. Carl Tony. Uh, he has uh, just finished a book. Yeah, let's hear it for Carl. Um, he's just finished his newest book. It's called New Testament Foundations, and that is That is a 750-page book is what that is, but it does have pictures, so I appreciate that. Somebody like me uh, really likes to have the pictures in there. Uh, But but Carl, could you just kind of give us the the, the big picture on what's going on here in Scripture? Yeah, thanks so much. Well, it's good to see everyone this morning, and it's just been awesome that we've been going through the letters of John like we've been doing here in the church. I, I think it's so neat when we go through not just one book of the Bible, but when we go through a series of books of the Bible so that we can see how the Bible flows and connects together. If you're like me, I tend to have a favorite verse in the Bible. So maybe I'll zoom in on something like John 3.16, for God so loved the world. Or maybe we think about our theme verse here at our church of speaking the truth in love. Or maybe you have a favorite story in Scripture. So maybe it's David and Goliath. Maybe it's a story of Ruth. Maybe it's Judges. Maybe uh, you've got some other story that you like. Well, or maybe you think about your favorite books in the Bible. So you think of the book of Jonah, or you think of the book of Esther, or maybe after this study, your favorite book is 1 John. I don't know. We think about things in terms of our favorite books and studies, but sometimes it's helpful for us to think about the Bible in terms of collections. So maybe you have the Psalms as your favorite collection, or maybe you think about something like the books of Moses, so Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. You have a favorite part of the Bible you'd like to go to. Well, I would like to think about the New Testament a little bit in terms of what these collections look like. You can actually divide the New Testament roughly into three parts according to collections. We have the Gospel of Luke and the Book of Acts, both written by Luke, and that takes up about one-third of the New Testament. You've got the stories of Jesus combined with the stories of the early church. Or maybe you think about the 13 letters of Paul, where you've got Paul writing letters to churches in Turkey, in Greece, and modern-day Italy. 
And so you can look at those letters and think about what was it like for Paul to interact with those communities. Or you can look at the other third of the New Testament, which is the letters and materials from John. And so we have the Gospel of John, we have the letters of John, and we have the book of Revelation. And what does that look like for John to be writing to these communities and to be talking to them about Jesus and the early church? And so when we look at the Gospel of John, we discover that, that John is writing to the early church and he says, wants to introduce them to Jesus. Here's what Jesus' life and ministry was about. He wants to tell a unique story about Jesus, how Jesus comes to bring abundant life, to bring abundant love to this earth. And so he tells all these stories about Jesus. But if you're like me, after reading the gospel, you think, well, that's great. I got the stories down, but what does this mean? What's the significance of Jesus' life and ministry? And so John writes a letter, 1 John, to his church to explain the significance, the meaning, the proper beliefs that we're supposed to have after we read the Gospel of John. I like to think of it as a commentary on the Gospel of John, or maybe a small group Bible study on the Gospel of John. That's what the letter of John does. And if you've been listening to our sermon series, you'll discover that our pastors have been bouncing back and forth between the Gospel of John and the letters of John to explain each other. That's because that's how John wrote that book. But then you go on, once you start to have questions about what is truth, what is right and wrong, you get into questions of what happens when people start to speak things that are incorrect. And with the letter of 2 John, John writes to a church that is struggling with people that are preaching and teaching wrong beliefs, wrong doctrines, wrong ideas. And so 2 John is written to respond to wrong teaching in the church. 3 John is interesting because in the midst of wrong doctrine creeping into the church, you would think that the story would end with, hooray, we did it, we succeeded. But with 3 John, you discover that, that the false teachers have actually been winning the battle. And 3 John is written to a church that is undergoing discouragement because they're losing the battle over truth. And so 3 John is there written to encourage that, ch that church as they're confronting uh, a world and a church that is dealing with speaking uh, things that are wrong. Then you look at the book of Revelation and you discover that you have a book that's written to a church where culture and society are standing against the church. And what does it look, how does the church respond when it seems like everything around them is against them? And so the book of Revelation was written by, the John, by John in order to encourage the church in the midst of struggles against society. And so when you start to look at these books together, you discover an, a story about the church. You discover that the stories of the church are not new struggles that we have in the church, that our story is a story that continues from the story of the early church. But not only that, but we discover that we can be encouraged that just as God met the needs of the church in those days, God is going to meet the needs of our church today. And there's an invitation for us with these letters from John that, that we too can step into the stories and that we too can look for the ways that God is going to provide, that God is going to encourage us, that God is going to move us forward as a church as we speak the truth in love. All right, Carl, that was awesome. My goodness. Now, now you just got a $30,000 seminary education for free, all right, right, right there, or at least uh, about a thousand left or so. And Carl teaches a class uh, during this hour, Cormdale, up on the second floor. Carl, we'll let you run back to your class right here. But, oh, as he's going, though, I do want to do a quick commercial. The mother of all Israel trips, if you've ever wanted to go to Israel, at the end of this year, uh, this, what I call it the mother of all Israel trips, is because uh, Pastor Lisa is leading it, and we 
all know about her leadership skills. Dr. Carl is teaching at each of the biblical sites there in Israel. Pastor Jarrett is leading worship for it. And his wife, Christina, is possibly the nicest person that ever lived and, and the most organized. So that's why I call this the mother of all Israel trips. And so I thought I would just do a quick commercial. Okay, let's look at 2 John. 2 John is the shortest book in the, new, in the Bible, in the entire Bible, if you're counting verses. It only has 13 verses. It's the shortest book in the Bible if you're counting verses. Third John is the shortest book in the Bible if you're counting Greek words, words in the Greek language. Only about 200 Greek words in the book of Third John that we'll look at, as I mentioned, in a couple of weeks. Uh, pastor Ashraf, who's the pastor of our Arabic um, service, that at 1111 we have a service in Arabic over in the H building. And he gave this to me this week in Arabic, that is Isaiah 19, verse 25. Most of the people in our Arabic fellowship are from Egypt. And so it says, blessed be Egypt, my people. I never even knew that was in the Bible. But I tell you, Egyptian Christians know that that's in the Bible, okay? Blessed be Egypt, my people, in Arabic. And it's written, it's on a piece of papyrus. And so the entire letter of 2 John could have been written just on one sheet of papyrus. The entire book of 3 John, uh, that we'll see in a couple of weeks, could have been written just on one single sheet of papyrus. And so I told Pastor Ashraf, your timing is absolutely perfect uh, for uh, sharing that with me because I'm sharing about that on Sunday. Now, 3 John, as, as Carl was just saying, was written to Christians who love too little. That is, they don't love enough. But 2 John is written to Christians who love too much. You say, Glenn, how can you love too much? Well, we're going to find out here today. There's three important principles on real biblical love. And our image of God correlates clear, uh, closely with our image of love. Now, let me ask you a question. Which of these is your image of God? Number one, do you think of God as a mechanic who fixes things when they go wrong? Uh, number two, do you think of God as a sheriff who's keeping track of your every move and everything you do wrong? Uh, number three, do you think of yourself as an overly loving grandfather? All right, I'm a grandfather. Kimberly's a grandmother. I wouldn't think of saying no to any of our grandchildren. I'm like, you want a pony? Sure. You want a car? Whatever. As a matter of fact, one of our adult children actually had to sit us down and say, Mom and Dad, if you keep doing this, we're not going to bring them over anymore. Oh, okay, okay, okay. We, we'll, we'll stop just giving them everything they want. And so uh, is your image an overly loving grandfather or grandmother who would never think of confronting you or putting boundaries on his or her love. Your mental picture of God is closely connected with your mental picture of love. And, and I would even go so far as to say, and psychologists would even agree with me on this, that, that this is real pressure on grandmothers and grandfathers and fathers and mothers because the starting point for our image of God is of our parents. Sometimes people would say particularly our, our fathers, that, that our relationship with our father, that's kind of our starting point. Now that doesn't have to be your end point. You can grow to know God through the years and praise God if you had a tough relationship with your dad or your dad was not the greatest guy in the world or your mom wasn't. Okay, that, that doesn't have to be the end point. You can continue to get to know God and find out what he's really like rather than what you think he's like. But it's a real pressure on those of us that are parents and grandparents because that's the starting point of our children and our grandchildren. Their starting point in what they think God's like is what we're like. And so the more we can become like Jesus, the better starting point, the head start we'll give them on knowing what God is really like. 
So for you, is love kind of a cold, mechanical action that's all about doing the right thing in truth? Or to the other extreme, is love something that always gives in, lets people walk on you, do whatever they want to do without any boundary? So today we're going to look at what 2 John says about three principles about what real love is all about. Number one, real love involves a balance of truth and love. Uh, Verse one, the elder The elder here, we believe, most likely is the disciple John, one of the early followers of Jesus, or the apostle John. The elder to the lady chosen by God and to her children. Now, the the Greek word here for lady is kyria. And so kyria um, could be a a lady's name. That could be her name is uh, the the lady here. That could be kyria. So this could be a person he's writing to. But most Bible scholars believe that most likely... He's talking about a church here. The same way you refer to institutions or churches as in the feminine. You know, for example, a ship is a she and a church is a she. That's why we would say, like, for example, our sister church, one of our sister churches is High Desert Church up in Victorville. Uh, we would say that's our sister church. We wouldn't say that it's our brother church. Well, most Bible scholars believe that this is written to a church, and he simply calls the church the lady chosen, eclecta. I love this Greek word, eclecta which means elected, chosen by God. Just think about that for a moment. In the same way we elect a president or we elect a governor, you have been elected by God. Isn't that a great term? You were voted on by God. God voted for you if you're a member of God's family and a follower of Jesus Christ. So to the lady, eclecta, chosen by God, and to her children, that means the individual members of that church. Now, this could be a code due to persecution. So it could have been written this way so that if the Roman authorities intercepted the letter, they'd say, oh, it's just an ordinary personal letter between this, this guy and, 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 this, and this lady here. And so it could have been in code because of persecution. Just like a few minutes ago, we had to turn off our online feed uh, earlier because of the, the content of that that could be dangerous for one of our missionaries. The early church would often turn off their online feed during the, the services and and that's just a joke. Nobody's laughed at that all morning long. I, I'm just kidding. They did not have online uh, feeds at that time. I'm just seeing if you're listening, all right? So, no, now, now, notice how many times the word love and truth is, is used just in the first two or three verses of this letter. To the lady chosen by God and to her children, whom I love in the truth. And not I only, but also all who know the truth. Verse two, because of the truth which lives in us and will be with us forever. And the same pattern continues in verse three. Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and from Jesus Christ the Father's Son will be with us in truth and in love. Uh, Real love has a balance between truth and and love. And and we need to work on having uh, that that, uh, particular balance between the two. Um, Funny Valentine here. This is Alyssa and Joy Brom. Uh, Alyssa is our children's pastor at the Claremont campus. So she's the children's pastor at the Claremont campus. And this is her little five-year-old girl, uh, Joy. And so Joy made a Valentine for her mother this week. And she wrote on it this. Happy Love Day. Instead of Valentine's Day. Happy Love Day. I hope your heart is not full of sin. All right, so... Happy Love Day, Mommy. Mommy, happy Love Day. I hope your heart is not full of sin. All right. 
Now, this is a little girl that understands the balance of truth and love. Happy love day. There's the love. I hope your heart's not full of sin. There's the truth in perfect balance uh, with, with each other. I love that Valentine so much, gosh. Um, boy, what kind of kids are we training here in our children's ministry? I guess we're training them right. Uh, you know, we go back and forth as, as Christians between love and truth. It's kind of like a pendulum. Churches go back and forth. I know I, in my life, I go back and forth like a pendulum. Um, uh, general, the church in general, in particular countries or cultures, kind of goes back and forth. This is a huge generalization. I don't know the kind of church you grew up in. But in general, my church, and I think the church of the, of the 60s or 50s, 60s, uh, kind of the emphasis was more on truth than love. At least it was kind of in my home church. I had a wonderful church, loved my church, had plenty of love. But I would say that, that kind of the the emphasis was on truth more than love. I would say from my perspective is that the church in general today, the pendulum's kind of gone back in the other direction. And the emphasis is kind of all love, 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 and sometimes at the expense of truth. Now, here's the wonderful thing about Jesus. He always got it perfectly balanced. That's why we love him so much. That's why people were so drawn to him, because he would hammer the truth. He would never compromise the truth. Oh, my goodness. He would you know, say to the Pharisees, you brood of vipers. He, he could bring it when he wanted to bring it. But he always did it with such love that people could take the truth from him because he was a perfect blend of both truth and love. I, I, I love the, the question that's in our study guide. You know, when you look at your study guide each week, you've got your first two pages, and it's got a hole punch in it so that you can um, put it in your growth binder. And by the way, you can get the growth binders out there in the lobby afterwards. So after you make your notes from the sermon, the first two pages are from me or whoever happens to be preaching up here, the first two pages. But then pages three and four, Pastor Greg, who uh, is our tallest pastor, so just the tallest pastor, that's Pastor Greg. He always, week by week, he does this behind the scenes. Nobody sees him at all, hardly. Uh, he, you notice him, you do see him, but because uh, he's so tall. But, you, you know, he's not up front here a lot and that kind of thing. Well, he does pages three and four study questions for your personal devotions, for your family devotions, uh, maybe for your small group to go through. And I loved one of the questions he put down for this week. Which is easier for you to do, to walk in truth or to walk in love? And I know in my life, I kind of either bounce between the two, or some people are more naturally lovers and less, they, they, the temptation is to cave on the truth. And some people are good, hard, firm on the truth, uh, but sometimes what they got to work on is, is love a little bit. And so Jesus is like this perfect balance between the two. Remember Dr. Carl was just saying that the letters of 1st, 2nd, 3rd John are almost like Bible commentaries on the biography of Jesus written by John. Well, let me give you an example of that with the whole balance between truth and love. John chapter 8, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group. And said to Jesus, teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now what do you say? Skipping to verse 7. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Uh, Skipping to verse 9. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? Here it comes. No one, sir, she said. 
then neither do I condemn you, love, Jesus declared, balanced by go now and leave your life of sin. Love and truth in perfect balance with each other. Now, someone that used this passage a few weeks ago was Caleb Kaltenbach. And we had him speak here a few weeks ago. He's a friend of Dr. Carl and of Jarrett, our, our worship pastor. And so he agreed to come and speak to our church on the very thorny, uh, challenging issue for churches today, the issue of same-sex attraction. And I tell you, only Jesus gets a perfect balance between love and truth. But this guy came the closest to it on a difficult issue of anybody that I've ever heard. Um, and his message is on our website. I encourage you to see it. And by the way, it, it was so powerful and so balanced between love and truth that I talked to the pastors at our staff meeting on Tuesday. And we agreed that we're just going to keep this on our website. And if anybody ever asks, where does Purpose Church stand on same-sex attraction, we're just going to say, watch the sermon by Caleb Kaltenbach, okay? About a 45-minute or an hour-long message. Now, not because he gets into every detail and what we would choose to do on every individual issue, not because of that, but because of the balance between truth and love. And that's where we want to be at as a a church. Uh, Caleb used the illustration of a rubber band. And he would say that if you have just truth without love, um, it's limp. It just kind of hangs like that. It's not powerful at all. If you have love without truth, uh, things are limp. They're, they're, They're just powerless. There's no power behind them. But if you have love and truth and balance with each other, that's where the power comes from. It is in that tension that you feel the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I love that illustration so much. That's where the power comes from. And you will see me use this rubber band again and again. And I will no longer give him credit from this point forward. This is from now on just going to be a great idea that, that Glenn had. This is the DNA of Purpose Church. Do you know what our goal is as a church? And please forgive us when we go one way or the other. Please forgive us. We're, we, we make mistakes on this. But this is, this is our heart's desire. This is a theme verse for us. Ephesians 4 verse 15. Instead, speaking the truth in love. We want to be a church that is uncompromising with God's truth, but we always want to do it with love. Does anybody want to say amen to that? And and, and this is what Christian maturity looks like. Do you know what Christian maturity, the more we're like Jesus, the more we will balance truth and love, and the more mature we will be in our walk with Christ. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become, in every respect, the mature body, the body of Christ, our church will be a mature church, individual Christ followers, we will be mature, the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ, who was always a perfect balance of love and truth. Now the second principle here is that real love is characterized by obedience. Okay, if, I, if, I, if Kimberly said to me, Glenn, um, would you please uh, wash the dishes? And I said to her, Kimberly, I love you so much, and then sat down and proceeded to watch TV. Uh, She would let me know that that's not her definition of love. As a matter of fact, my love language is uh, words of affirmation. Hers is acts of service. And so sometimes that doesn't work out all that well. You know, I'm just like, I love you so much. And she's like, show it to me by doing something around the house. All right, so, so real love is characterized by obedience, by practical, concrete action. Verse four, 
It has given me great joy to find some, not all, okay? There were these infiltrators into the church that were teaching something that was wrong. But to find some of your children walking in the truth, just as the Father commanded us. And now, dear lady, I'm not writing you a new command, but one we have had from the beginning. I ask that we love one another. And this is love, that we walk in obedience to his commands. As you have heard from the beginning, his command is that you walk in love. Now, love in the Bible is not just an emotion. It's an action. It's a concrete, practical, nitty-gritty, getting down and, 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 and getting into the trenches, a love of action. That's what the Bible talks about when it talks about that you walk in love. Now the third principle. Real love sets limits and boundaries. And hang with me here because this is the one that I think, my goodness, God's word is relevant to every time and every generation. And when I was studying Second John this week, I was like, wow, this is like it was written for today. This is a perfect word for the body of Christ, for the church at large, for our church, and for me and you, and you and me individually uh, here. Real love sets limits and boundaries. Verse 7, I say this because many deceivers who do not acknowledge Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh have gone out into the world. Any such person is the deceiver and the Antichrist. Now, I'm not saying this is the particular heresy or, or false teaching that we face in the church today, but it's a great example of how to deal with those in truth and, and in love. You see, in Greek culture, the spirit was always good and the physical was bad. So everything to do with your body, bad. Everything to do with your spirit, that was good. And so this false teaching took the form back then that Jesus couldn't have come in the flesh. He had to just come as a spirit. It was almost like instead of Casper the ghost, Jesus the ghost. It was just Jesus the spirit because flesh was bad. And so in that culture, they couldn't imagine uh, that Jesus came in, in the flesh. As a matter of fact, it could have come from good motives. They wanted so badly to reach their culture that they came up with this false Christology. Christology is a study, the doctrine or the study of the, of the doctrine of the nature of Jesus. Fully human, fully divine. That's what Christology is. And, and so it could have even come from good motives that they said, you know what, we want to reach the people of our culture, and we want to reach them so bad, and this whole Jesus coming, God coming in human flesh, that is so offensive to people of Greek culture that, you know, we, let's try to remove that barrier so that we can reach people easier. And so some of the things today that people are compromising on, sometimes they come from good motives, of like, let, let's just remove this barrier, then we'll reach more people for Jesus. Because some of the things Christians believe, let me ask you, is some of the stuff we believe offensive to our culture? Anybody want to raise their hand on that? Yeah. And so back then they said, man, this is offensive. But they got into falsehood because of that desire of removing that which was offensive to them. Now, this whole dichotomy, this division between the physical and the spiritual, it took two extremes. One was called asceticism, A-S-C-E-T-I-C-I-S-M, which means everything about the body was bad. So you couldn't enjoy a good meal, you had to beat your body, you had to live almost like a hermit in the desert and not have any fun, no fun. You couldn't enjoy anything in life. It would take that extreme. Or sometimes it went to the opposite extreme of hedonism. 
That is where, where you would just, if the body didn't matter, then you could do with your body whatever you felt like doing with your body because only the spirit mattered and the body didn't matter. So it took these two extremes, asceticism or a hedonism. And so they were trying to relate to the Greek culture. They were trying to relate to the Greeks. And so as a result of that, uh, it was leading into this compromise. And so what John is saying here is not don't try to relate to your culture. He's just saying be careful when you try to relate to your culture that you don't compromise the truth. As a matter of fact, John is one of the best examples of trying to relate to his culture. Do you know that the Gospel of John, the biography of Jesus, was actually written a number of years after Matthew, Mark, and Luke? And it was actually intended by John to be a more contemporary telling of the story of Jesus that would better relate to the Greek culture. It's almost like uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke were the traditional service, and uh, John was the contemporary service. That really was what was going on there. And so he's not against trying to relate to your culture. He, he just was against compromising the truth as you attempt to do that. Now, is that appropriate for today? Anybody want to say amen to that? My gracious, this is so appropriate to what's happening today. The people trying so hard to relate to our culture, which we ought to do, but going so far that they comp uh, compromise the truth. And so what we find in 2 John is absolutely key to our own spiritual health, to our church, purpose church's spiritual health, to the body of Christ at large, to our spiritual health. Here's what we want as a church. We want to be progressive in our orthopraxy and conservative in our orthodoxy. Now you say, Glenn, what are you talking about that? Okay, orthopraxy. Ortho in the Latin means right. Praxy means practice. So we want to be progressive. We always as a church want to be figuring out new ways to encounter our culture for Jesus. Just like a missionary. Just like a missionary does. I mean, every new generation that comes along is almost like a new country to reach. It feels that way sometimes. Then the same way uh, when they, when they oh, I'm not supposed to use any names. Okay. In any way, these theoretical people went to a theoretical place. Uh, they would try to change, you know, to be able to connect with the culture. And that's what Christianity has done. That's why Christ followers are in every nook and cranny of the world because Christianity, like no other world religion, like no other philosophy, adapts to every culture. And that, that's why I believe it's the truth because the truth is applicable to every culture. And so there's nothing wrong with doing that. We want to be progressive in our orthopraxy, always having new strategies to reach people for Jesus. But at the same time, we want to be conservative in our orthodoxy, ortho meaning right, doxy meaning doctrine. That is, we will always preach God's word in fresh new ways, but it will still always be the old, old story. Anybody want to say amen to that? We're going to keep hold of the gospel as it was given to the saints 2,000 years ago, but we will always seek to engage our culture in a fresh way. But in doing so, we have to be so careful that we don't water down the truth in order to do that. Let me give you an illustration of what I'm talking about. There are three responses that lifeboats could have had at the sinking of the Titanic. One was a lifeboat could have stayed far away and out of danger. Could have just said, let's get as far away from drowning people as we can uh, so that we are not in danger of being swamped, our boat, or any of us being pulled into the water. And I think years ago, that's kind of where my home church was. It was kind of like, hey, let's all stay safe in our lifeboat and, and, and let's stay far away from those people lest we be pulled into the water with them. 
A second response would be those that just indiscriminately went in among the drowning people and, and, and reached so far and tried to pull them out of the water that they got pulled in themselves. Or their boat got swamped, and so not only did the drowning people drown, but everybody in the boat drowned as well. And I, I think sometimes that's the danger of churches today, of being wanting to relate to culture so badly that we, in, in the process, we get pulled into the water with them as well. We end up losing and watering down the truth and losing our faith and the gospel in the process because we've watered it down so much in order to reach people. The third possibility is those in the lifeboats that got in the middle of the drowning people, but they pulled people into the boat without being pulled into the water themselves. That's my prayer for Purpose Church. I pray that we will be that third boat. Anybody want to say amen to that? That's, that's what we want to be. And for 149 years, by keeping a balance of of love and truth. That's why this church is still pumping after 149 years, extremely rare for a Christian institution, a Christian organization, or a church to still be thriving after that many years. It's, it's actually somewhat unique in American history. But it's because generation after generation of Christ followers in this church have always, by, by the grace of God, kept, kept love and truth in balance with each other. And so our mission statement as a church is everyone everywhere uh, following Jesus. And so we always want to have new ways to encounter each successive new generation to reach them for Christ. But we got to be careful not to water down the truth in doing that. And that's what he says here in verse 8. He says, watch out that you do not lose what you've walked for, worked for. Watch out that you don't try so much to relate to the culture that you get pulled in and become part of the culture. You get dragged into the water but that you may be rewarded fully. Anyone who runs ahead, it's cool nowadays to run ahead of the gospel, to come up with some funky, new, cool way that's not really the gospel, but it kind of is cool, to, to run ahead of the gospel and does not continue in the teaching of Christ, does not have God. Whoever continues in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. I was talking to a pastor the other day, and they said about their church, you know, our church has a high view of Scripture, but he says we still affirm something that the Bible clearly does not affirm. And I thought to myself, you do not have a high view of Scripture. You have a high view of the parts of Scripture that you like. You don't have a high view of Scripture. You have a high view of the parts of Scripture that you like. As a matter of fact, you don't have a high view of Scripture. You have a high view of yourself because you're the only one smart enough to figure out what parts of the Bible God meant and what parts he was saying, just kidding. You know? That, that we, we as a church, we want to have a high view of Scripture even when it's awkward, even when it's difficult, even when, it, when, it's, when it's hard. Okay, we, we still want to submit to God's word. Now let me give you an example on both sides of this. Um, trying to relate to our culture. Uh, pastor Ashraf, uh, our Arabic uh, pastor, uh, he was, I was talking to him the other day, and this guy, what a ministry. You know, in, in the next hour at 11.11, he's going to be pastoring our Arabic-speaking service. Hundreds of people across the Middle East are going to be joining with him online in that service from our campus. How cool is that? During the week, millions of people 
um, that he and his team, the whole ministry there uh, that, that reaches into the Middle East, uh, he just came up with one of the first books on Christology, the doctrine of Christ ever written in the Arabic language. He just came out with that. Um, God is just using this guy in a phenomenal way. And I said, well, look, you're 52 years old. What are your dreams for like the fourth quarter? What, what do you got for an encore? And he said his dream is to come up with another contemporary translation of the Bible in Arabic. He says, because there have been a couple of uh, contemporary translations, like the John MacArthur Bible and, and like the NIV, but he said um, he, he feels the need for one more because many people continue to use the Arabic translation that missionaries translated back in the 1800s, which is wonderful, but it's kind of like the equivalent of our King James translation. And so he says, you know what, we kind of need something that will connect with people uh, today. That is exactly what John is talking about here. Now let me talk about the other thing. Is, is that today, oh, let's go back. I'm sorry, let's go back to that. Running ahead. Beware of any time people have a cooler, better version of Christianity than the actual gospel. Beware of that. And it takes many different forms. But it's kind of a... Uh, C.S. Lewis called it, beware of the seductiveness of the inner ring. We're the cooler Christians. We got the better version. We got the new and improved version. I mean, it can take many different forms. Beware of the seductiveness of the, quote, inner ring. We run ahead because we're ahead of everybody else here. And they don't continue in the teaching of Christ, and they don't continue uh, in his teaching. Now here's how it becomes practical. 2 John 10 verses 10 and 11. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not take them into your home or welcome them. Anyone who welcomes them shares in their wicked work. This is John the apostle of love. This is the love doctor, okay? The love apostle. The apostle John. Um, But see what was happening in this church is it was either an individual lady, and she was such a nice lady, that she let false teachers into her home hospitality so they could continue to teach while staying under her roof. Or they were such a nice church, and they were such a nice church filled with such nice people that they didn't want to confront these, these nice young men that were coming around preaching this false gospel. They didn't want to confront them about it. So they opened up the church and let them preach there, and they opened up their homes and let them stay there. Um, The apostle of love says, don't help them financially and don't help them in any way. Verse 12 and 13, I have much to write to you, but I do not want to use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to visit you and talk with you face to face so that our joy may be complete. The children of your sister, most likely their sister church, the church at Ephesus, who is chosen by God, send their greetings. The real truth and real love Real truth and real love in balance, in tension with each other is the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And by the grace of God, it will empower, continue to empower Purpose Church until Jesus returns. And all God's family said, amen.